0: Dominator on the, the broomstick. Domer is dead. Classic tune from my uh my fellow Wisconsinites, The Violent Femmes. Am I supposed to feel sorrow? That's the question. Goddamn, man, isn't it something to be alive at this moment? At a certain point, you can talk hell, hell world all you want, but, man. There's something about living now. Obviously, if you don't have the boot of capital directly on your neck, if you're privileged enough to be in that position, there's something vertiginously giddy about this whole thing. Motherfuckers! They, they all got it! They all got it! They all gave it to each other to prove a point! To prove a point about how it wasn't a big deal! That's the best part. Like, we've talked about, Alex Perrine wrote a great article about how, you know, the Rubes are in charge now, and like, like there used to be a divide between the hoopleheads and, and the re- leadership of the, of the Republican Party. You know, there was stuff that you told people, but you didn't actually care. You know, it was to rile them up. And now, and more importantly, I think even in that process, is just the panopticon of online like you cannot be seen in masks you cannot be seen to care look like you actually care about covid because to do so uh is to undermine your argument and then you got the fact that for a lot of these people like it it is reality it is reality like it's not a big deal like these are not just things they tell people to keep the vote tally up they really believe it and now they all have it they all give it to each other and when do they do it? At the fucking... At their little, uh... Witch's coven with, uh... uh Amy Kobe Bryant. Their little end zone dance on the fucking, uh... On, on the Supreme Court. They all ended up giving it to each other. Oh man. I don't think any of them are gonna die, though. As funny as it is to imagine. Especially, like, the idea of him dying, like, a week before the election. Uh, I mean... People said that about R.B.G. How funny would it be if she died two months before the election? How funny would it be if Trump died of corona a month before the election? Once again, how funny would it be if Biden, the sleepwalking geriatric, got that nomination over, like, 20 strivers? How funny would it be if Trump beat Hillary? The funniest answer has been the most predictive one. And I think that's not just being facile. It's because what is comedy? Like, comedy is surprise. Comedy is a le- is, is something... Uh, defying expectation and we live in a moment when all expectations are being annihilated by the accelerating crisis and the lack of our political institution and media institution uh their fundamental lack of uh flexibility in dealing with it their incapability of dealing with it which means that what we get is the funniest outcome Long live the broomstick. I don't know where the hell those birds are, but they're getting really loud lately. They've not been this loud before. Is it the time of year? Do they know that the super volcano is about to erupt or something? Is this like the beginning of uh, the core when all the birds, like uh, geolocators, get messed up by the failure of the Earth's core to create an electromagnetic field and they just start smashing into things? It would be funny if he has to debate Biden from a hospital bed. That'd be very humorous. Like, on Zoom. Oh man, are you saying the audio's choppy? Because the thing is, I went with the uh, plug-in to the computer because people said it actually was better, and specifically they said it was louder, which I know has been a consistent criticism uh, so I wanted to do this because i I think it might work but if it's choppy, I'll go back to the I'll go back to the laugh mic should you vote for Kanye in Oklahoma? I mean if you think it'd be funny I mean why it would it's not my choice you're the one doing it I mean Kanye to me is a little played out at this point I mean I'm not voting for Biden but I don't vote for Kanye or Howie Hawkins for that matter. If I'm gonna just do something to amuse myself, it's gonna be to amuse myself, you know? And Kanye is not music to me at this point. He's a little played out. So uh, I don't know yet. Might write in Bernie just as like a, a, like a bit of sentimentality. I think maybe the funniest thing you could do is vote in uh, write in Hillary Clinton, which I might do. That might be the funniest thing you could do is write in Hillary Clinton. I'm still with her, folks. I will always be with her. Also, yeah, voting for everything except president like they did in Michigan in the tens of thousands, which helped kill Hillary's chances at the presidency that's another that's another strong move I, well I want to say one thing is that there's already been some argument about like all right say Biden, say Trump dies soon hilarious hilarious and then presumably it would be up to the RNC and who that they would like be the candidate and I think they would probably just pick Pence for continuity reasons and the question is like was, does that help the Republicans or hurt them and so I've seen some people argue that it helps them because it might get those suburban Republicans who hate Trump back in the fold but I think that that number would be dwarfed by the number of Trump warriors who would just be be broken by it and would not vote for Pence, wouldn't vote at all more likely to show up the, at the at the polls with like a an AR15 and get suicide by copt It would be funny though if the Q people insist he's not dead and he becomes like the false Dimitri or something just like he's like the occluded Mahdi of American politics and they just keep waiting for Trump to come back. I do think that if he dies, they should give him a Viking funeral in one of the beautiful boats. Get him out into one of those shitty lakes that all those people like to tool around in all, all Saturday and just... have Don Jr. Don Jr. tries to do it and he fucks up like 15 times like Edmer Tully. He can't get the thing. And then they try... Eric tries it and he can't do it either. And then Ivanka comes in like the blackfish. One shot. <laughs> Some people say he doesn't—he's not sick. I don't believe that, because—I mean, frankly, that's—that seems like cue stuff to me. Oh, he's not really—he doesn't really have it. It's all a ruse. Uh, it goes against his narrative—is the big thing I have a problem with. That, like, okay, sure, what? It means he doesn't have to do a debate, maybe, or it gets people to have sympathy for him, but it cuts—undercuts the whole argument he's made, which is that it isn't a big deal. How is it not a big deal if the entire White House has it? And I guess they're thinking, like, well, if this old fuck gets it and doesn't die, then people will think it isn't a big deal either. But, I mean, at this point, it's so close to the election that his health is going to be in doubt on election day no matter what. Like, he's not going to be over it. Are you fucking kidding me? And also, they're not keeping that secret. Come on. Come on. They're not keeping that secret. Thinking that they're going to keep that secret is like thinking that they're executing John Legend and Chrissy Teigen in Guantanamo Bay and replacing them with clones. Come on. But the tweets are going to be great. I can't wait to see the tweets of him in quarantine just watching even more TV than he usually does. Not being able to go to the rallies. Uh. Uh. The fact that everyone has it, though, is so funny. Mike Lee's got it. Which means there's probably a couple other senators that have it. This could honestly be the one thing that stops them from getting Amy uh, Joseph Coney on the on the on the Supreme Court, which would be, of course, hilarious. I mean, those senators must be terrified because they're old as shit. Although, of course, you know Rand Paul had it earlier in the year and he didn't he didn't give it to anybody who died. Virginia Fox, that awful gorgon from uh, I think South Carolina, she didn't die either because God delights in human evil. And when I say God, I meet, of course, Yalboeth, the motherfucking Demiurge. He loves them, and he's going to keep them alive. He's going to protect his Archons. He'll protect his Archons. He's got their back. I have more powers. I can smell thyme now. I can smell it. I can smell the time. You ask me what time it is I smell, and I know. That's thanks to Gorgorona. I do wonder if he's going to take hydrochloroquine, because he kind of suggested that he was taking it a few months ago, but of course you can never tell what's real and what's carnival barkery. I realized, looking through my notes from uh, the uh, Comey rule that we watched and talked about on the last episode, that I miss I forgot to say one thing about the show, which is, uh, there's a scene where he's talking to Comey, where where Brennan Gleeson is doing his Irish Trump, like, Top of the I'm Donald Trump. I'm Harris-Faith-Pierre President. And he goes, and he's talking about how he doesn't listen to experts or... You know, political people, he talks to TV people. Because TV people actually have uh, stakes in their jobs. They can, if they don't get ratings, they lose. And so they have to be right. Now, of course, that's very easy to undermine and, and point out the absurdity of. Because no, they don't have to be right, they just have to be entertaining. But that shows that Trump understood American politics better than anybody at the time and why he won more than anything is that he understood that being entertaining is being right. It's the same fucking thing now. Entertaining is correctness. It's because eyeballs are all that matters. Which honestly is why I think this could hurt him badly because in the last episode, uh, Felix was suggesting that Trump might win if he can just use the next month to maximize, like, to what he did in the debate every day in terms of just getting everyone so disgusted and exhausted that instead of voting to turn the volume down, they just stop voting. They just stay home. And then the rabid rump of Trump supporters is enough to just sneak them over the uh, finish line, thanks to, of course, voter suppression uh, and outright fraud and all the stuff that we know they're going to do one way or the other. Uh And I think this really hurts his chance to do that. He's in quarantine for two weeks now. I mean, what's he gonna do? I did not predict this on Twitter, by the way. Somebody made a fake tweet about me that was very funny, but no, that did not happen. I did not say he was gonna do that. I did predict, though, uh, talking about the debate, that he would condemn Biden uh, for being racist due due to writing the crime bill and say that all cops hate him because he is uh, a puppet of Antifa and BLM in the same answer. And he did it. He did it in the same fucking answer. Which is just so ma. And more than anything reminds you that these people are not operating off of premises or political motivation or political ideology. They just have a few lumps of Facebook lard in their brain that they're shuffling around at any given moment and then barfing up. Which is why he's beloved because that's true of everyone who likes him. They don't have political ideas. They have they have a Facebook feed that provides them with something to tell people about what they're mad about on a day-by-day basis. But none of it connects to each other. None of it coheres into a whole. None of it has any co- uh, coherency to speak up. It's all isolated. The only people who are th- threading things together of course, are the Q people, but they're doing it at a level of like esoteric uh, analysis that is beyond even talking points. It's, it's, It's pulling things out of the talking points. those birds are losing it up there wow they're really nuts oh if this is a, if they are ravens and they're and they're quoting nevermore i'm going to be pissed If they interrupt me when I go back inside here and I'm pouring over my quaint and curious volumes of forgotten lore, I am going to be mega pissed. I'm gonna come out here like Betty Draper with a fucking BB gun. No, I'm not. They're fine. Love all animals. What the hell is anarcho-communism? I, I always get mad, I get always, people always yell at me when I talk about anarchism, so I'm not going to talk about it too much, just to say that it's a way for people to think that they're good guys. It's a way to be like, I want all the good stuff without any of the bad stuff, and since it's all at the level of labels, it doesn't really matter. But what matters is like how you are operating off of those labels, because one thing I know from like dealing even in the minimal way that I have with like the micro sects and... You know, emerging tendencies within the self-conscious left in this country, which is to say, political cosplayers, myself included. There's no real coherence there anymore, as there is the people like Trump and Facebook grandparents. Like, there are uh, MLs, like people who I've seen call themselves, you know, in DSA, for example, like call themselves Marxist-Leninists, who uh, demand like regional autonomy for like their DSA chapter from a national. That's the exact opposite of Leninism, as it applies to party structure. They, like Leninism means democratic centralism, which is like uh, something like PSL has, where there is a line that is enforced after a vote. Once the vote is taken, the line is enforced, and you've got people who call themselves Marxist-Leninists saying, "No, no, I want my chapter to be able to do whatever it wants." Well, that's not what what. It's just because the words have resonance. The words mean things emotionally, uh, and then they want to apply those regardless of what it means to their actual lives, and that's not a huge deal, as long as it doesn't obscure your ability to see what's happening in front of you, because I really don't think any of those labels mean anything when the nut-cutting time comes, when people have to get offline and, uh, and engage with their, hate to use the word, but community. shit they're saying he's going to get experimental treatment that's so funny that's very funny I mean I don't know if that means hydrochloroquine it would surely be funny if he took that oleander extract that the my pillow guy is flogging which is apparently actually deadly I gotta say though, if he if he bounces back in two weeks and he's fine, I kinda think that's the most likely scenario because he shouldn't be alive now. But fuck, fuck, COVID. He shouldn't be alive, period. He should not be alive. What actuarial table tells you that a man who is the who is the exact shape of a frigid air refrigerator and eats nothing but gristle for three meals a day should be alive at the age of seventy-four? So maybe he is impervious. Maybe he's like his, like Keith Richards. Of course, if he was, uh, if he is, if he is, felled by quack medicine, he will not be the first president to be killed by uh, uh, quack medicine. Uh, I think we've talked about it on the stream before, but George Washington, father of our country, was killed by a guy, a doctor, whose only treatment for uh, for whatever the hell uh, he had. I'm not sure, I don't know if anyone knows what he had, but it was it was one of those classic, went out, went out and rode in the rain and came home and got ill, you know, type of situation. pneumonia or something. He just bled him. He's just like, he's still sick. Gotta get more blood out of there. And he literally just dracula the father of our country to death. And then of course there's uh, Garfield, who was killed by his quack doctor friend uh, who insisted on sticking uh, unsanitized fingers into the bullet hole and then most damagingly of all refused to ha- allow him to be fed orally but instead rectally which caused him to over the course of his uh attempt at convalescence to lose like 60 pounds which made it much harder for him to fight off the infection which could have been defeated if they had just uh, sewn him up after the gunshot, because the bullet didn't hit anything. Anything vital. It got lodged like in in the broad muscles of his lower back. I'm trying to think of who else. I'm trying to think of anybody else died of, uh, died hilariously among presidents. I mean, Nelson Rockefeller, who was the v, unelected VP for Ford, uh, he died pretty funny. He he died having sex with his mistress. William Henry Harrison famously said to have died because he uh, gave a speech in the rain and got pneumonia. That's possible, but my opinion is is that he died for the same reason that Zachary Taylor died, and. James Polk, right after his term ended, which is during the 1840s, there was behind the White House, about a couple hundred yards, maybe not even that far, a giant sewage lagoon, a huge open air pit of human feces, which most likely gave cholera to one or three of those guys. They say Zachary Taylor died from milk and cherries. Uh, there was also a theory for a long time that he was poisoned by the slave power to stop him from uh, resisting, um, allowing slavery into Western, the Western territories claimed in the Mexican War. But he was most likely killed by the poop water as well. In fact, Zachary Taylor, I think, I think it's a while ago now, I think it's like 20 years ago, he was... Um, Disinterred because they wanted to test his body for arsenic because arsenic lasts very long in the human body and you can actually uh, do test for it in hair. You don't even have to do an autopsy. So they, they, un- they, they dug him up and they cut some hair loose, but they didn't find any arsenic. Coolidge just had a heart attack, I thought, while shaving, I believe. Shaving, and just dropped it. presidents don't die like they used to. They don't die at all. They live forever. Fucking, uh, Jimmy Carter's 96 now. He has had a brain tumor for five years. Herbert Hoover also lived into his 90s. And of course, Ron Reagan, uh, Bush, these guys, they have all the adrenochrome. Like they've literally taken all everyone else's, uh, animal spirit into themselves and allowed them to live forever because they, they, they don't suffer the same health risks that the rest of us do because they pile up uh, our, our labor to, to keep them alive. I mean, somebody will die prematurely at some point, but I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't want to bet on which one it is. Sure, not going to be Obama. You know, he's got the best. He's got the best adrenochrome possible. He'll be 150. Have you read about the bloody uh, Baron Unger Sternberg in the Russian Civil War? I have. In fact, I highly recommend the book, The Bloody White Baron, about him, because that is an insane story. Uh, so during the Russian Civil War, you might know this or not, you know, there was a... The, the, the basic geography was is that the Bolsheviks held roughly the center of... The Russian Empire's territory, and then on the, around the edges were a number of rebel armies under different commands, which is the big reason that the Bolsheviks won against them against such long odds, and against you know the combined attempted intervention of the uh, of the Allies from World War One, is that they held the middle they held the middle area, which means that they had internal lines of defense and stuff, and and they could coordinate in a way that the White armies just couldn't, uh, and there was one White army. <laughs> Uh, under a uh, like an old Prussian aristocrat named uh, Unger, Baron Ungers von Sternberg, who uh, uh, had a ragtag army in Mongolia where he essentially declared himself like a reincarnated uh, Buddha and had like kind of a weird quasi-mystic Buddhist uh, cannibal army. In the Mongolian hinterland, before the uh, before the before he was finally defeated by the Bolsheviks and executed, there's a very interesting um, moment there because after he was caught, he was brought to a nearby city and displayed for the town. Like they put him on a stage, and people came and watched him and like asked him questions about what he had done, and he defended himself before they uh, before they I think hanged him but he was a complete psycho uh, and yeah he thought he was like he was a god on earth he was, it was a very much a Colonel Kurt situation uh, and he had his, his guys massacring civilians and, and, and deserters and, and uh, he made deals with like local uh, uh, like Buddhist Mongolian religious leaders to, to like co-rule with him interesting very interesting story and uh, there's a detail from that book that I think is one of the most chilling things I've ever I've ever encountered, which is that uh, when one of the um, one of the Romanovs, one of the one of the one of the girls, while she was in captivity, and they found out later, um, her she had written while she was in uh, in her cell wherever. She had, like, a a journal, and she was drawing swastikas. She just was drawing... She had drawn a bunch of swastikas. This is, like, 1918. Uh, Because, you know, the Nazi party did... It it emerged from an esoteric tradition in in among... uh, Specifically among European aristocracy, which Sternberg was representing, which the Romanovs were part of, which uh, ended up in germany finding expression in the tool society which was a, a group of esoteric uh, cultic wealthy germans who backed the nazis in the early era so i recommend that book it's very it's it's short it's well written uh, and there's lots of uh, good gory details They're saying he has a high fever. Oh, fuck. Oh, boy. That's not good. God, if he does die. Oh, my God. He dies before the election. God damn I mean, if he died before the election, how could we handle that? Like, he has been, this man has been the single focus of the emotional energy of, what, I'd say 50 million Americans, something like that, either against him or for him. Like, he has been the star that their psychic world has revolved around. We have all, even if we don't have that much emotional investment in him as a person, we have all been living in his brain for the last four years. And if he just was, oh yeah, he's gone now. Before this election, there's supposed to be this titanic contest that might, might turn into a civil war, according to everybody who's secretly jacking off under their fucking chairs. For that to just be like, yeah, no, it's over. One of the greatest anti-climaxes of all time. One of the great, um, one of the great uh, cock blockings, honestly. Just an, an entire nation with blue balls. trying to think there's a I'm trying to think there's a book or a movie or something that's got like one of those just hilariously anticlimactic endings I'm trying to think of what it is Closest thing we have to esoteric rightism in this country now, and you and if you saw that feels good man documentary and they, their interview with the with the uh, with the with the magician guy, it's probably like four chan. It's probably it's probably forums. It's probably reactionary forums full of those like incel child molesters who just concentrate have so much time on their hands that they can con- and that they can they can collectively concentrate their will. On on creating memes that they charge with dark power and then put out into the world. I would say that more than Q, just because Q is. it's less self conscious, I think. Like, these people don't. these people think they're doing normal politics, is the thing. For now, I think that's gonna change as Q gets more intense and and, and more baroque. But for now, it's like they're normal. They think they're normal still. They think they're normal. Is Q Christian? It's not only Christian, but it is largely Christian. Its its earliest proponents are definitely uh, evangelicals. There's, it still is, like, I'd say, fundamentally evangelical. And I would say also, and I talked about this with Sean on uh, History is a Weapon that just came out, where we talk about Q, that the, the New Age people who are now part of Q are essentially secular evangelicals, the way that Scientologists are, you know? Like everyone's essentially an evangelical in this country because at least everyone who is pursuing the American dream self-consciously is an evangelical because the American dream is the dream of everyone being God, which is of course why Mormons are the ideal Americans and the ones who have done the best at a synthesizing uh, a way of life out of American capitalism because they were the first ones to, to twitch onto what America really meant. They went out west where there was still land. They grabbed some, even though it was shit. And by virtue of the fact that they sublimated uh, capitalism into their social fabric, they were able to present the—they were able to prevent the, the deracination that happened to everybody else. Uh, but but you know, everyone is seeking that. They're the only ones who have it as a theological uh, principle. But everyone is seeking go- to be seeking godhood on earth. And. Uh, it's, 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 it's why we are consuming the world, because the American dream is that the, the access to material excess that used to be the province of gods on earth, kings, emperors, satraps, uh, potentates, is now for everybody. Everybody can have that. And, and and like the idea of a social good is is consumption well there's a math i could sh- it's not hard math problem to show why that's not sustainable and that's why we need a new uh, a new religious framework a new spiritual uh, and value framework that that de that de-emphasizes material not not in the interest of austerity for everybody like oh you know like the way carter did hey you guys should you guys should stop uh Stop being so materialistic and and save some energy. It's like, well, motherfucker, how about you create a world where that's even possible? You know, Uh, it's about changing the social inputs in such a way that uh, that living is possible. Living in the absence of striving for material gain is possible. Abundance for everybody, but abundance in what? You know, like abundance. If it's abundance in hamburgers, if it's abundance in fucking high fructose corn syrup, if it's it's abundance in McMansions, that's not a viable social model. Like abundance has to be defined socially. Like everyone should have an abundant access to to the, the what is best in life, but what that is. can't be determined by the market because the market's answer will always be consumption what is best in life? Uh, chilling chilling with the homies I think best in life sure as shit is not crushing your enemies and seeing them driven before you. That might be good in Hyperborea, but we have, we now have our, we are not, we understand ourselves as part of a fucking human species. Someone wants to know what books to recommend on John Brown. Uh, obviously, if you want to read a novel, which has a lot, like, it has, it has a lot of, like, if you want to know, like, what happened in terms of just bare facts, there's a lot of accuracy that's very well researched Cloud Splitter. Uh, but uh, there's also a, a, a kind of considered a pretty uh, authoritative biography from David Reynolds called John Brown Abolitionist, the man who killed slavery, sparked the Civil War, and ceded civil rights. the Progressive International? Is this a replacement of the fake, pathetic Socialist International? Because, honestly, I feel like that's going backwards in the terminology. Progressive is one of my least favorite words on Earth. There was a period, a brief period when I was all heady with the concept of of, of Bernie winning and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and if not bringing about social democracy, at least changing the game and I'm imagining a world where in the future you know that battle has been fought and uh, I always thought it would be fun to write a book in that position about Elizabeth Warren called The Last Progressive just the idea of Warren at that I mean that, if Bernie had won of course if uh, uh, Warren representing sort of the last gasp of, of, of the progressive uh, tradition in America but sadly that did not happen not, don't like that word Is that something from Yanis Varoufakis? Because I absolutely, I think that his analysis, his his, his analysis uh, of the situation and his insistence that we need to think in terms of building institutions that transcend national boundaries is very, very true. Like, I think this idea that you're going to, I understand the argument and and I agree with it that in the current moment national political institutions are the only ones that people can have any effect on really and so that's where people have to focus their energy but I think there has to be an eye at all times on the on the, on the necessity to transcend that because because uh, international cooperation is going to be the only way that we, we mit- mitigate the worst of the crisis we're in um, but he doesn't seem to really have a very at least successful uh, Uh, project going on. I know that his uh, his election, his 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 party or whatever in, in EU is is not doing is very doing very poorly. Nietzsche. Someone asked, what's my thoughts on Nietzsche? I'm a big, I'm a fan. Gets a bum rap. Mostly thanks to his awful Nazi sister. No, he didn't kill God. We killed God. He just noticed. he was a reactionary and, 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 and yeah he, he didn't like socialism because he was he was repelled by any kind of uh, you know uh, any project that sublimated like the individual like that and yeah because he was a romantic it's, but like there's still use, useful stuff there you can't just like reject or embrace things Someone's asking about like the idea of like using nationalism and patriotism to sell socialism. I think any at this point, I think we should see that there is no future in branding. That that what we're branding is too hegemonically capitalist to accommodate an alternative within it that could genuinely challenge it. Yeah, we should. Because, like, when people talk about, uh, like, Bernie wasn't, uh, like, patriotic enough or he didn't, he didn't, like, salute the troops enough or whatever, that all feels like people uh, picking that shit out of Pepper. Because that was not the, the, the he did not run on, like, america kaka the United Snakes. He ran on boilerplate. America is a great country and it deserves a great, you know, system and all that stuff. There was no way to add to that that was gonna that was going to change the fundamental dynamic, which is that somebody somebody in that uh, field is gonna have to is going to be pitching themselves to a specific group of people, i.e., voters, and those voters are going to be taking their cues, if they're Democrats specifically, from a media apparatus and from a party that is just fundamentally. Uh, incapable of assimilating that level of uh, of government intervention into the to, into our blessed neoliberal uh, market system, mm-hmm. and there's no way around that. And I and I and I think people thinking of ways to you know buff it up and, and, and throw some uh, throw some cool uh, tires onto it and turn it into a fucking SUV with a big American flag or something. None of that is going to change the, the, under, the fundamental issue, which is that what alienates people from Bernie among the people who needed him not to be alienated by are two things. One, if you are a voter, if you're a Democratic voter, you are taking your cues from the Democratic Party and from the media apparatus, which means that it's a non-starter. There's not enough Amer- American flag kissing he could do. And secondly, the second group uh, are not paying attention So they don't fucking notice if he's wearing a flag pin. They don't care if he's wearing a fucking trucker hat. They're not paying attention. And that is the problem. And if they're not paying attention to politics, I don't think they really are humping the symbols of patriotism uh, in such a way that they are like just waiting to be activated by the right incantation. also like all that patriotic stuff like that's all coded already like you can't pry that stuff away from its context like when people talk about patriotism they're not just using it as a as a broad concept it's connected to other specific subconcepts that are antithetical to a socialist project prying it off prying it off is not the easy task that people think it is and i think it's it's because of that it's more fruitful to look lower to look to look to more basic stuff than to branding campaigns the Democrats will go QAnon over time. As I've said, everyone who is politically minded will go QAnon over time, because things are going to keep getting worse. Politics is going to continue not intersecting with actual conditions. And that means that you're either going to have to stop paying attention, which a lot of people are going to do, and just check out from it, but the ones who keep paying attention on all sides of the aisle. Are going to have to get more and more intensely esoteric with their parsing of symbols in order to invest the whole pageant with any meaning. Because, like, Q started with a very simple, from a very simple crisis point. Like, we talked about how you know it's the difference between the America they find themselves in and the America that they have in their head. But more specifically, it happened because. Trump was to them the guy who was going to make America great again. He was going to fix the problems. He was going to get rid of the sickos. He was going to, more than anything, be their avenging angel against the people who they blame. Because resentment is the engine of politics at this point on all sides. And then he got in there and he didn't do it. Nobody went to jail. Hillary, for one thing, like, lock her up was the essential, like, forget Great America Great Again. Lock her up was as important, if not more so, a slogan of 2016 Trump campaign. And did he lock her up? No. In fact, at one point he even admitted that he wasn't going to lock her up in front of a bunch of hooting chuds uh, after he got elected. He says to him, that was good for the campaign, that was fun, but yeah. Like, he was just telling these people, you actually fucking thought we were going to throw some Hillary Clinton in jail? I don't fucking care. Um, and so that was what they had to square. Trump's supposed to be putting these people in jail. He's supposed to be cleaning out the swamp, and yet everything's the same. It's because it's happening behind the scenes. Well, Democrats do that, too. Like, with all their, with Obama, with all the 11th-dimensional chess stuff, and, like, uh, Queen Pelosi, uh, how she's got a, a trick up her sleeve. That's only going to get more and more intense. Like, Biden gets in there and does nothing about the crisis, which is probably going to happen. Uh, Democrats are going to go get q brain too, even more so, to try to parse... Uh, now, because Q exists and is coded as trumpy and Republican and reactionary, it will look differently it'll self consciously be different because they will have this example that they 're not going to want to be like, but in content in terms of its motivation and the uh, engagement between politics and their world, like the way that they're approaching it, not as uh, you know a, a actual um, exercise of power that is happening in public and that you're observing but as a uh, secret coded veil that you have to pierce they gave Regeneron to Trump they're not giving him hydrochloroquine what the fuck Regeneron, that sounds like a uh, that sounds like a drug in, in like a Robocop remake like some sort of rich person stem cell thing that uh, gives you a tail and uh, laser vision or something uh, if, he, if they gave him Energon cubes we're fucked uh, if, if Donald Trump turns into a Decepticon I don't think uh, it, it matters how many Proud Boys show up at the polling places in November Oh, Regeneron is the company. Okay, that's still that's also sounds creepy. That's like a company in a RoboCop movie. Regeneron is a uh, subsidiary of OCP. dies and Trump doesn't. Wouldn't that be funny? Melania dies of the COVID and he survives. Or Don Jr. dies of it and he doesn't. I think Harris would beat Pence if it came to that. Every Trump dies except Barron, and then he becomes the, the false Dimitri who, who uh, emerges to lead their nation through its time of troubles. Baron von the bloody white Baron von Baron Trump. He's huge. He's absurdly huge, and he is, uh, he is, a Virgin Chad. He is the he is. He is the synthesis. That dork one time said that Trump was going to complete the cycle of German idealism. He didn't know that it was Baron, not Donald. Because you see him, he's this giant man, and yet he does the Virgin walk. Shit, that's true. Somebody says the selections between a German Catholic and a German Protestant. It's 30 years war all over again. Fuck. Thirty years of war. It's pretty intense. Honestly, kind of crazy how little an um, effect it has on popular culture, considering how hair-raisingly, monstrously violent it was. Uh, the number of people who died uh, in Germany was absolutely catastrophic. I'm trying to find the uh, the death toll, but I think they estimate like. A quarter of the German population or something like that died during the war. Entire regions completely despoiled. Swedish armies marching like fucking locusts across the countryside and just destroying towns and castles and villages. Yeah, the the Swedish army itself destroyed one-third of all towns in Germany. Over 1,500. Sweden! Gustavus Adolphus. The uh, the most interesting players in this Thirty Years' War were, of course, the French, because France was a a, a Catholic power of Europe, uh, but it fought with the Protestant League against the Catholics because the Catholics were led by the Habsburgs, and the Habsburgs were considered a, a greater threat to the Bourbons than uh, than any kind of any any uh, potato eating uh, fucking Scandos and squareheads. In fact, it was a Catholic cardinal, Cardinal Richelieu himself, who, uh, or not Richelieu, uh, a different guy, who, uh, who advised France to get into that war on, the fa- on behalf of the Protestants. Which, of course, means it was not just a religious conflict. It was good old-fashioned power politics, which is always what it ends up being. People forget that uh, that that people, of course, forget that Sweden was a world power in Europe uh, in the in the 16th and 17th century uh, and 18th century. They actually had a North American colony, Uh, Delaware, and parts of New Jersey were uh, were called New Sweden until Peter Stuyvesant and the Dutch kicked them out. And then after Charles twelfth uh, the just got their asses kicked against the Russians, they just said, we'll fine. We'll just do furniture from now on. No more wars for us. Who killed Palm? Uh, Gladio, broadly. South Africans probably, specifically. But, like, that whole spider network... Palm was a thorn in the side of of the anti-communist international that was, uh, by the 80s, going ham in South Africa, in Latin America, Operation Condor, uh, but also genocides in Central America. uh, uh, Italy, of course. Belgium. And he was... uh, wasn't hard to kill him, that's for sure. You say killing a leader of a country is a bit over the top, though, but I mean, if, if the, the latest revelations are right, the guy who pulled the trigger was some crank, because cranks are great uh, if, you, if you have an intelligence operation, uh, because even if they get caught, they don't, they're too dysfunctional to have like live connections to anything. Uh, and also, when you look at how easy it was to kill him, the dude had no bodyguards. was leaving a movie theater with his wife. And then the guy who shot him, even though he was maybe just this crank, got away with it and never got caught. He's dead now. I actually don't know if the business plot is real. I don't know how real the business plot was. I believe that Smedley Butler had these conversations. But I don't know if it went even beyond that. But it definitely indicates that, you know, even though FDR was the savior of capitalism in many ways, that the capitalists were not all on the same page as to whether they wanted to be saved. Which is why, which is the which is the value of government, which is the value of democracy in a capitalist system, is that it not only does it provide popular legitimacy to legitimize all the exploitation and horror of it. But it also allows for the coordination of behavior that individual actors within it are never going to sign off on because it hurts their bottom line i just want to end and on that note of like like what's realistic for capitalists to do uh i want to say that i just rewatched for a first time in a number of years michael clayton which i think is getting People are talking about it more and more these days. Uh, And a movie that came out in that great year, the last great movie year in American film, 2007. There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, Zodiac, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Uh, and Michael Clayton, that's just off the top of my head. There's more that I'm not even remembering. Uh, And I think now Clayton might be the best one of those, honestly. Just because it is in my mind just the perfect legal thriller it, it, it's like it is it, it does everything that it could do with the material that is, that is made up of it the performances are amazing Tom Wilkinson obviously is fantastic but Clooney has never been better in that movie he does so much stuff with his face So he's just like he's this twitchy mask that's always looking like it's going to pop open really good stuff um, but if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, uh, turn, I'm going to stop after this so you can log off if you want to go watch it. And I highly recommend going and watching it. Uh, so if you don't want to spoiler, drop off now. Uh, cause I will just be wrapping up here after I finish saying this. So the plot of the movie is that, uh, Tom Wilkinson is this big shot lawyer with this firm, that's defending an agricultural uh, agribusiness giant against a lawsuit from a bunch of farmers in Wisconsin that they uh, gave them that they sold them a fertilizer that gave them all cancer. And it's been going on for years, but in the middle of a deposition uh, Tom Wilkinson has a psychotic break and freaks out and and uh, the firm brings in George Clooney who's the fixer. He doesn't do litigation. He just rough, He just smooths over shit for people uh, which is something that all the capital system needs those lubricants. A guy to uh, to uh, uh, a guy to patch over uh, the rough spots and and do the things that are not within the realm of the law necessarily. And they bring him in because he's a friend with him to to talk him down. But at one point, eventually, uh, the uh, head of the internal uh, legal team for the uh, agricultural company, played by Tilda Swinton, uh, hires these dudes to kill Tom Wilkinson, And then later, uh, George Clooney, after it looks like he's getting too close to the case. And she's working on behalf of uh, this, the big the CEO of the company, who's played by uh, he was Ed Truck in uh, The Office, uh, also uh, on 30 Rock, he was uh, Hank Hooper. And I think what's really well observed about it is that and i remember at the time when it came out ross douthat complained that it was unrealistic because a corporation wouldn't just have someone killed it wouldn't just have people killed because it's a corporation they have zillions of dollars like even if they lose this lawsuit and the like the big thing hinges on the fact that uh, the litigator the tom wilkinson character has a document that's like a absolute smoking gun that these guys knew the drug killed people knew the uh, the fertilizer killed people and didn't do anything about it like the stuff that means you're dead you're fucked you're going to you're going to have to spend 30 billion dollars on this fucking thing Uh, is that the order doesn't come from the top guy the order doesn't come from Hank Hooper the CEO because even if this comes out what's the worst thing that happens? he has to retire two years early right? he has to take his golden parachute parachute, uh, a little ahead of time before he goes and golfs. like oh maybe he has to go in front of Congress like he's not going to jail he'll be fine the stockholders will take a hit they'll be pissed at him, but like there's insurance it'll all be fine. The person who orders the hit is Tilda Swinton because for her, the stakes are vastly higher because if this goes south, her career is ruined and she doesn't have the golden parachute she's just she's just like halfway up the mountain. she doesn't want to get thrown to the bottom. she has the fear of falling, and that is where all of the nonstress, extra-legal stuff happens. Not at the commanding heights, because the guys at the commanding heights, they're not really at risk of anything. Our system exists to completely uh, protect them from any real consequences of their actions. Because, like, paying a fine with somebody else's money and then, like, resigning your job is not a real consequence for killing, in this case, like, hundreds of people with a fucking, uh, fertilizer. Uh, or a pesticide, it was rather. Um... It's people in the middle. It's people who want that and aren't there yet. And could maybe face real consequences if something happened because they could go to jail. Those are the people who, who, who pull the trigger or order others to pull the trigger. Are the ones floating in the middle. And those are the guys who would do something like have Adolf, Olaf Palmas assassinated, maybe. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to log off here, but first some uh halloween movie recommendations. Good idea. Halloween 3: Season of the Witch. You don't even have to have seen the first two cuz it's totally disconnected, which is hilarious cuz they wanted to make it into an anthology series after the third after the second one, but then nobody liked it so they went back to the Michael Myers stuff which first two are good. After that it's like, no, they should they should have stuck with the with the idea of a anthology, anthologies are highly underrated, especially horror anthologies. Uh, and on that uh, third sequel, second sequel tip, *Exorcist* three, uh, the one directed by the writer of *Exorcist*, uh, a a Wahhabist Catholic, uh, William Peter Blatty, who also made a great movie called um, *The Ninth Configuration*. The only two movies he ever directed, and both of them are really good. Um, *Fright Night* two. You mean a sequel to the original one with William Ragsdale and uh, and Roddy McDowell? I didn't know there was a sequel to that. That was a movie I saw a bunch as a kid. Fright Night 2. Oh no, this is a sequel to the remake. Get out of here. And it doesn't even have the same cast. Get out of here. Uh, let me think of some other ones. Yeah, three and a half stars. That's good. People Under the Stairs is fun. I like the... You gotta love blunt political allegory. Evil Dead 2. Yes, of course. Army of Darkness 2. Army of Darkness 2, even though that's not scary. I did... I recently watched Wake and Fright. Which is not, I don't think, really a horror movie except for the scene where they shoot they really shoot all those kangaroos which is pretty gruesome. Uh, But I do like to think that it is a horror movie where the premise is what if you had to hang out with Australians? That's the horror. Oh, and uh, John Carpenter uh, on John Carpenter tip uh, obviously the thing but Prince of Darkness which is underrated and The Mouth of Madness which is also underrated. I did see Miracle Mile. That movie is nuts. Uh, That's a great uh, nuclear holocaust paranoia movie where Anthony Edwards overhears someone on the phone saying that there's a nuclear missile headed towards Los Angeles in like four hours and they have to try to get out of the city in time. Drag Me to Hell is a lot of fun. gotta say, I haven't really liked a lot of these new these new fangled horror films. I haven't seen one in a bit that I really, really like. But hopefully something soon. Miracle Mile is the one of uh, the nuclear uh, attack on Los Angeles. That actually would make a nice... In terms of like the time frame, some of the setting... Uh, It would actually make a good double feature with Night of the Comet, if anyone's seen that, which is about a couple of valley girls who survive a nuclear attack. Yeah, I'm going to watch the new Invisible Man soon before the before the month is out. Oh shit, there was a Fright Night 2 in 1988 and it's out of print. Fuck now I'm very intrigued. Oh yeah, there it is. Tommy Lee Wallace. Roddy McDowell back. Oh man. Oh, it's not available anywhere. Is it streaming anywhere? Okay, I gotta see that because because the original Fright Night is a, is a foundational movie for me. The scene when Evil turns into a fucking uh, like a Wolfman thing after he gets the stake—that's that's seared in my mind. You're so cool, Brewster. Alright, I gotta try to find. I gotta find, try to find Fight Night 2. Alright, guys. Monster Squad. Of course. Of course. Of course. Bye-bye, folks. Stay frosty. And uh, get well soon. Get well soon, President Trump. LOL. Long live the broomstick.